I'm Nitan. Hi, I'm Adam. And this is Stories from the East and West, the show telling little-known stories from Central and Eastern Europe. This week's episode is about a painting, but it's not exactly going to be an artistic analysis. No, no, no. This is going to be an adventure that a certain painting went on. It involves Nazis, bombs, and a battle for the future of Europe. Possibly the most exciting painting you'll ever hear about. Coming up on Stories from the East and West. Zlín, Praha, Varsava, Madrid, London, Paris, New York, Casablanca. Where you see a kind of totality of the human presence. Absolutely, absolutely. That is exactly. Stories from the Eastern West. It's late August 1939. The painter Stanislav Eismund cuts short his holiday on the Baltic coast and returns to Warsaw. Like other Poles, he fears that the rumors of a German invasion will shortly become a reality. Eismund was vice president of the Zachenta Art Gallery, a home to many of Poland's national art treasures. He was responsible for their safety. As it so happened, the painting that most needed to be kept safe was also the biggest. The Battle of Grunwald, painted by Jan Mateko in 1878, was around 15 feet tall and 45 feet long. Just so you get an idea of its massive size, here's the sound of our producer walking along the length of it, from one end to the other. And he has long legs, too. So let's just say that taking down the painting and hiding it from the Germans would be a big challenge. But Aismond and the museum staff weren't put off. There was just one problem. All of the younger workers of the gallery had been mobilized for the war. That was art historian Maria Popszenska. And so this handful of elderly men, under the direction of the vice president of the Zachenta Gallery, simply went out onto the street to find volunteers people that just happened to be passing by, to help take down and roll up a painting with a surface area of 452 square feet, which weighs around 400 pounds. Just imagine 11 king-size beds awkwardly taped together. For any kind of transportation of the painting to be possible, it has to be rolled up on a special roller, at which point it weighs around a tonne. And then, as predicted, on September 1st, Germany invaded Poland. Poland, September 1939. The German Pole begins its ruthless march of conquest and sets the stage for World War II. And it was progressing much more quickly than anyone had expected. Obviously, this made the evacuation of Matejko's Battle of Grunwald even more difficult. So, imagine the situation. Warsaw is under bombardment. And here you have these completely random people from the street and the older employees of the Zachenta Gallery who hadn't been ordered to mobilize. And by some miracle, because there were really dramatic moments, and it was of course done in a very amateurish manner, they were able to successfully roll the painting onto onto this wooden roller. So, this massive painting had at least been rolled up. 
But now they had to find a way to sneak it out of Warsaw. They were able to obtain a transport from the city magistrate, consisting of a platform pulled by horses. And so, a couple days after the start of the war, under heavy bombardment, the Battle of Grunwald left the Polish capital. The horses pulled it towards the city of Lublin, about 110 miles southeast. Through a war-torn Poland, through roads crowded with people escaping the conflict in both directions. Escorting the painting is Eismond and a young painter called Bolesław Surawo Gajduczeni. But before we tell you what happened next, we should probably explain why they, and other Poles, were willing to risk their lives to protect this thing. And also why the Germans were so eager to hunt it down. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to the year 1410. This was the year the real Battle of Grunwald took place. It was one of the largest battles of the Middle Ages. It involved thousands of soldiers and cavalry. It ended the dominance of the Teutonic Knights in northeastern Europe and led to the alliance of Poland and Lithuania, becoming the new dominant player in the region. But this would come to an end too. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was broken up and wiped off the map at the end of the 18th century. This was the moment when the Battle of Grunwald became an important symbol of national pride. That fight back in 1410 gave people in the 19th century hope that they could too, once again, regain their homeland. So it made sense that somebody would want to put this epic battle onto a canvas. Jan Matejko was already famous for his large-scale paintings, and he was on the case. He decided that this one would be his biggest yet. We need to remember that Matejko was already a really famous painter. There was massive coverage in the press. This was really a painting that the public was waiting for. Matejko worked on the picture for a few years, and he finally finished it in 1878. Its unveiling had a uniquely festive character. It took place at Kraków's town hall, and it was a kind of coronation of Matejko as the spiritual sovereign of the Poles, the Polish king of a country which did not exist. But for the Germans, the Battle of Grunwald was a humiliating defeat. Their name for it was the Battle of Tannenberg, and they didn't want to be reminded of it. They saw the Teutonic Knights as their symbolic ancestors, and they weren't too happy that the battle had been recreated in the form of a gigantic painting. The painting was treated as a propaganda threat by the Third Reich. In 1938, a year before the war, Matejko's 100th birthday was celebrated with much fanfare. And of course there were parades, exhibitions, and among other things they wanted to release a stamp with the Battle of Grunwald. The German embassy made an official protest against releasing a stamp of a painting that was slanderously anti-German. If they were that upset about a stamp, it's really no wonder the Poles suspected the painting might be first in line for destruction should the Germans get their hands on it. Back in September 1939, Eismond and his young companion were trying to get the painting to Lublin and stop that from happening. 
but even though the German army hadn't yet reached them on the ground, the bombs of the Luftwaffe above were deadly enough. Four horses were replaced along the way, as the original ones had been killed by German air raids. That was Piotr Lisowski, a paintings conservator at the National Museum in Warsaw. Fortunately, the painting did make it to Lublin. But on the very same day they arrived, tragedy struck. After it had been handed over, the two men who had delivered it died during an airstrike. According to Popszenska, the deaths of Eismond and Sorawo Gajduceni only added to the painting's symbolic importance. If we look at the painting from the perspective of its sacralization, its place within Polish culture as something almost holy or a kind of relic, then this precise moment was a crucial part of its canonization. This was something very significant, if we take into account Polish sensibilities, Polish culture. Also, we have to remember that the whole time everything is happening with bombs falling everywhere and people dying. The painting was now in the hands of the museum staff in Lublin, and it was obvious that it would have to be hidden, because thematically the picture, well, its subject matter meant that the Germans were going to be looking for it. The painting on its roller was placed in the museum library and built over with a wooden counter. So it was safe for the meantime, but the Germans soon occupied Lublin too, and they had their own plans for the museum. In the spring of 1941, the museum's administrator, Roman Piacerak, is informed that the governor of the Lublin region has ordered the evacuation of the Lublin Museum by Easter. It was to be turned into a new German cultural centre. There was little time left until the deadline, but there was no doubt that the painting had to be moved out of the building before the Germans took it over and could easily find it. But now they had to figure out how to get it away safely, without them noticing. Well, it just so happened that it wasn't only the museum who had been told to move out. The new Nazi German administrators of Lublin were taking the best apartments for themselves and forcing all the inhabitants out into the streets. Wagons moving furniture and belongings were a common sight throughout the city. So, the museum staff realized they could get the painting out safely by staging their own move. But first, they'd have to find a long enough wagon. It was provided by Franciszek Galera, the superintendent of the municipal warehouses, who was told by Roman Pieczerak that they wanted to hide a certain object there. Galera immediately realized it was important and agreed. He suggested a wagon driver who drove both Poles and Germans around town and who could be trusted. The plan was set for a few days before Easter, when there would be the most traffic. On Wednesday, April 9th, 1941, the moving team are about to spring into action. As per the plan, at 6.30 p.m., the driver, with a long wagon pulled by two large horses, arrives at a spot near a square in central Lublin. 
The group of men assigned to help are strolling around the square, pretending not to know each other, but they become increasingly anxious after a car with Nazi officers stops very close to the wagon. Luckily, the car soon drives away. The wagon driver gets a signal and heads across the square. He goes through the gate leading to the teacher's seminary, and from there, he reaches the back of the museum grounds. He parks the wagon, and the team begin to haul the one-ton painting onto it. The roller had a diameter of around 80 centimeters and a length of 5 meters, so it wasn't going to be an easy task, but they managed it. The Battle of Grunwald is covered with straw, and the wagon is filled with tables and chairs and cabinets and other items. Then, the end of the painting is visibly sticking out of the wagon, so they cover it with an old wooden bathtub. A final check is carried out, and the driver sets out with his valuable cargo. They were able to transport this painting, this platform with the painting on it, through the entire city, which was already occupied by the Germans, and find a hiding place for it. And on the grounds of the municipal warehouses, a shed had been prepared. But the shed was used for storing straw. What if it caught fire? There was a war going on after all. The painting could go up in flames in seconds said they had to think of something else. How would you keep a giant painting completely safe? We'll give you three seconds to think about it. So how did they keep it safe? If you guessed, bury it in a massive hole in the ground and then cover it with a layer of concrete, then well done, you're correct. The ground surrounding the shed had been drained and gutters were installed so that water could be drained away safely, so that the painting wouldn't become damaged by water. And the painting was buried. And of course, as we know, this frantic determination to hide the painting wasn't some sort of hysteria. Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi German propaganda minister, was determined to find the painting. He put up two million Reichsmarks as a reward. That's 90 million dollars in today's money. There were bounties for members of the resistance that were far smaller. Of course, the Germans also used other means to try and find it. Many people connected to the Zachenta Gallery were interrogated. But still, nobody gave away its location. Besides, I think that some of them simply didn't know what had happened to the painting. One of the caretakers of the painting, who knew where it was being hidden, received an offer from the Germans. They said that in return for revealing the whereabouts of the painting, his son, who was being held in Auschwitz, would be released. Meanwhile, false leads were set up to try and mess up the German search. The Polish government in exile, which knew that the Germans were trying to locate the painting, spread information that it had been evacuated to Canada. They even said there had been celebrations there when the painting arrived in Canada. 
Whether or not the Germans were fooled by all of this, the painting was never found. In 1944, the Nazi occupation of Lublin finally ended. This was the beginning of a new chapter for Mateko's Battle of Grunwald and for the Poles, who were about to get their country back, even if it wasn't on their own terms. The Soviet army was now in control. Those who had kept the painting safe during the war now had a tough decision to make. Was it now finally safe to reveal the painting's whereabouts? The Nazi Germans were still in control elsewhere in Poland, and the Poles in Lublin didn't exactly trust the new authorities either. All the people who knew at that point were maintaining a position of, let's say, restraint towards the authorities, the new authorities. But not everybody was able to keep tight-lipped about the painting. Those responsible for the painting found out that the driver who had transported the painting to the grounds of the warehouses was starting to boast about what he knew they decided they had no choice but to reveal the painting's location. And then, fairly quickly, the painting was unearthed, and this was all filmed by an army documentary team. The painting was finally removed and unrolled by specialists. It quickly became clear, though, that a lot of work was needed to restore the Battle of Grumbach to its former glory. The painting, which had spent five years lying underground, was now in a terrible state. A terrible state. Meaning its entire bottom section, in fact, was almost completely decayed. The colors were completely eaten away. It was covered in a layer of mold, and the conservation work took five years. And the painting was doubled up, meaning that a second layer of canvas was applied to it, to partly replace the decayed canvas. This was an enormous job, which was undertaken according to the best conservation practices of the time, using the most up-to-date techniques that were available. After five years of restoration work, the painting was put on display again. There was additional conservation work done in 2010 on the 600th anniversary of the battle itself. Today, the painting takes up an entire wall at the National Museum in Warsaw. It has lost none of its power to draw attention and always provokes a response in the crowds who come and see it. The painting certainly makes an impression on people. Once I even read some comments on the internet of schoolchildren. Schoolchildren who, as we know, live in a completely different world, use different forms of media that are far more attractive, that move and emit sound. This painting is immobile and silent, but still makes an impression with its huge scale and dynamism, and also something which I think hasn't been often written about. It's cruelty. The things that are really important elements of pop culture, namely glamour and cruelty. They are both here, in Mateiko's work. We have corpses, blood, madness, exaggerated facial expressions. This is what makes such an impression.
This episode of Stories from the East and West was produced by Culture PL and hosted by Nitsan Reisner and me, Adam Zhuwavsky. It was written and produced by Piotr Wojcicki, edited by Adam Zhuwavsky and scored by Wojciech Olekcik. Many thanks to the National Museum of Warsaw for all their help with this episode. You should go there and check out the painting for yourself. We'd also like to thank Professor Maria Poprzenska and Piotr Lisowski for speaking to us. And a massive thank you to Stitcher for featuring this episode on their front page. We are bloody chuffed. And for the Americans listening, Adam just said we're extremely pleased and grateful. And if you liked our show, um, Adam, what should our call to action be this week? Go write an email to your boss saying you have to take tomorrow off because you're listening to all the episodes of stories from the East and West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a good idea. Adam, can I have tomorrow off? <laughs> no. Coming up in two weeks, we're heading to the technological future wonderland that's also absolutely freezing most of the year. And very dark. But still brilliant. See you in two weeks. Bye.